If this is the first time you've been here in about three weeks, um, you're kind of coming in to end of the movie. Um, we've been in a series now. This is the third week of a series, the last week of a series on uh, marriage called uh, What Did You Expect? And uh, as we have been here, what we've talked about, and I'm going to give, bring you up to speed so you can know, kind of know what's going on with this. Um, we've talked about how when we first get married, or even before we get married, we come into the relationship of marriage with each, every person does with a box, this box called desires. And uh, that box called desires is, is something that, uh, it's a natural thing to do to have desires. We talk about them when we're dating. Uh, we'd like to do this. We'd like, I mean, for instance, we'd like to, we talk about some of these desires. Like we'd have to like to spend, how are we going to spend our time when we, when we get married? It's going to be different than before. Uh, if it's not, you probably have some issues. Uh, but the issue is that time is going to be an issue. We talk about things like, uh, you know, uh, are we going to have kids, you know, and uh, whatever, you know, we're going to have kids. How many kids are we going to have? Things like that. We talk about what kind of stuff we're going to have in marriage, these desires to have, like uh, nice cars, homes, things like that. We talk about other things like what are roles and expectations that we have. And another thing we talked about as well is, you know, men have this expectation that their wife will never wear anything to bed that looks similar to this at all. And uh, wives are going like, I hope that uh, my husband just loves me so much that he really you know, doesn't care what I wear. He just wants me to be comfortable. And so those are desires uh, that we have. Now, the problem is if they stay in the desire box, we talked about this the last two weeks, it's, it's fine. But the problem is soon, for some reason, after we both walk, walk down the aisle, we say, I do. Right after that, what happens for many people is we dump our, a lot of these desires into another box. They become what we call expectations. And there's a big difference between a desire and an expectation. A desire is something we like, and when it happens, what happens is we're grateful. But when it's an expectation, and we take these things and we put them in the expectation box, then it becomes the standard by which we measure the success of our marriage. And really, if, if it's done, if a desire is, turns into an expectation, if we do it, all it is is well, you're meeting the expectation. It's zero. I'm not grateful. I'm just, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. In the relationship. That's what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. And the thing is, is that when we're dating and stuff and, and we're talking about desires and, and, and these things that we'd like to see happen in our relationship, it's a fun thing to do. It's a great part of that relationship. But when they become expectations, it, becomes, it can become a burden. And in a real sense, we talked about what happens when they dump all these things in the expectation box. What happens almost immediately then, it becomes we have this different relationship. It's no longer based upon what the Bible says our relationship is to be based upon, which is a covenant uh, based upon unconditional love to one another. It's based upon more of a contract that we are to operate this way with each other. We have these contractual obligations to each other that we're to do it. So we have this debt-debtor relationship that we have going on in our marriage. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that what happens is when that happens in our marriage, it puts incredible strain on the relationship when we live in this area of expectations, this debt-debtor relationship. And, and what happens, there's like four consequences or four options about how you operate in that relationship. One is that some people just run from the relationship. They're going like, this is not working. I'm getting out of here. And that's why we see uh, at least a 50% divorce rate in America. Because people are saying, you know, they go into a marriage thinking there's desires, they, they think about desires and they put a turn them into expectations. They're not being men. They're going like, okay, I'm going to run. Another way that people sometimes deal with the problem of expectations is they have one person who conquers and the other person conforms. 
One person kind of gets all their, all their expectations met. The other person just says, I'm not, for the peace, sake of peace, I'm going to do this. But the problem is long term, that doesn't work either. Because what happens when you have one person conforming, one person conquering, what happens, the person that's conforming all the time gets fed up with it after a while. And then a few years down the road, what happens is usually that divorces as well. And then, it, then the third is compromise. And that's where, and, and I shared with you a couple of weeks, or last week, that for the person who is not a Christian, that is about the best you can do in a relationship is compromise. You can just kind of work together and kind of give in on both ways. But what we talked about last week, the fourth response is God's response. And we talked about this because it comes out of Ephesians 5.21 and following where we said this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It says that we in a marriage relationship, uh, what we're to do is we're supposed to submit to one another, not because the other person is such a great person. It doesn't say submit to the other person because they're great. Because they're perfect. In every way. They're not Mary Poppins, okay? Nearly perfect in every way. Uh, not if you're, you know, some of you look at me like, Mary Poppins. Boy, you're old, Pastor Bill. My son and daughter tell me that every day. Okay, uh, they're 30 and 25 almost, and so they think, you know, I'm ancient. But anyway, um, the thing is, is that uh, the problem is, is this fourth response, this fourth response is, is, is not because based upon because the other person deserves it, but simply because God says, out of reverence for me, out of reverence for Christ, when we're a Christian, how we express that in our relationship is through our spouse. We give that love, that, that unconditional love to our spouse as a, as a way of demonstrating our love to God. That's what it says if you read those passages out of Ephesians 5, 21, 25, uh, 23, 25, 26, down through there. Uh, it talks about that. And if you didn't get, we're here last week, you can get that message on a uh, podcast as well and or on the a CD outside and, and pick it up and, and listen to that because it talks about what the Bible says about the relationship and what it's to be based upon. Now, and we talked about what happens too upon the stage up here. We have these two big eyes. And the two big eyes represent the two persons that are in a marriage relationship. We come into the relationship as an I. It's about me. I hate to tell you this, but it's just part of our makeup, all of us, right? I mean, we're, it's all about us. We come into the world, and as, far, as soon as we're born, the thing is, wah! I want this, right? That's just, yeah, babies, you know what's going on? It's all about them. And, and truthfully, we just get better at it over the years, most of the time. And so the thing is, we have these two big eyes that come into a marriage relationship, and they clash, and it causes problems. So we have to learn how to operate. And that's what we've been talking about, this problem of, of people and coming into selfishness and this whole deal, deal in a relationship. What we're going to talk about today is how to turn those, a big eye marriage into what we call a little eye marriage. Now, this is not really a little eye, but it's, it's a pretty big little eye. But, uh, uh, you know, we don't want a big eye. Big eye uh, marriage, bad. Little eye, good. Okay, got that? Kindergarten, okay. <clears throat> now, what I want to talk about today is this, as we conclude this message, is that this issue is when somebody asks me that, oh, what do you do? I mean, how do you deal with this? these desires. Let's just get rid of this box. We're saying expectations are bad, okay? Because those are things that we begin in a real sense. What we want to do is we want to take those. We want to get rid of them. In a, in a marriage that if we decide we want to dump everything back into the desire box and make it, make it things that we'd like to see happen, how do we deal with those things? So I want to t deal with two things today. What do you do with the stuff in the desire box, number one? And then also what I want to do is at the end of the message today, I want to talk about how do you talk about the stuff in the desire box. And I'm going to give you three specific questions that you can take home 
and, and used to talk about the stuff in the desire box as well. And the Bible actually um, answers the question about what do you do with the stuff in the desire box. Uh, and it basically says this, as a married person, uh, what, I'm a, what am I to do with all the anxiety and all the, uh, all the desires that I have over here in this box? What do I do with that? When my spouse does not seem to be tuned into those desires, how unusual would that be, you know? Possibly not tuned into desires and, 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 and maybe sometimes don't even care. What do you do with that stuff? What do you, what, what do, you do? Well, what you don't do is this. Let me tell you two things you don't do with it. Number one is you don't pretend it's not there. Don't pretend you don't have desires. You do. I mean, you talked about them when you were dating, right? I mean, and, and it was warm and all fuzzy. And you're going, oh, you know, when we get married, da-da-da-da-da. And you had all these warm, fuzzy desires, and they're good things. There's no problem with the desires. You know, don't pretend it's not there. It doesn't stop because you got married. You still have desires. So what do you, don't pretend it's not there. Number two, don't just do what most people do with the desires when it's not working. Just get busy and stay distracted all the time. See, the danger is, so often what we do is you try to decide your, you decide your spouse is not uh, going to meet your needs, your desires in your life, even if you desire to put them into the box here. And so you, what you do is you say, well, I will respond the same way. Because I don't know what else to do. And what that communicates when you desire the same way is this. I'm just as disinterested, disinterested in the relationship as you are. That's what it communicates when you just get distracted and busy and don't focus on these things. And maybe it's just the case you don't know what to do. So, and, and so often we forget the simple golden rule in Scripture. Remember Luke 6.31? You know what it says? What's the golden rule? Come on. Some of you know this. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Okay? It's not do to others before they do to you. Okay? That's, no, that's not it. It's do unto others as you would have them do to you. I mean, that would be a simple rule to follow in relationships, right? But if that's not enough in, in Luke 6.31, what happens is, is God gives us a passage over in 1 Peter. And if you have your Bible this morning, this is kind of a hard book to find. 1 Peter is kind of the end of the, end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at just three or four verses here this morning where he talks about how to deal with the stuff in the desire box. How do you deal with this? How do you approach it? And then how do you talk about it? In uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter is talking about uh, relationships. And he starts off talking about relationships in the first four or five verses. He's talking about relationships between older men and younger men. But then in the middle of uh, verse 5, he says this in verse, uh, 1 Peter 5, 5b. After he talks about these relationships very specific, then he says this, all of you, how many does that include? Everybody, okay, all of you, you shop crowd this morning, little eye, big eye, good, bad, you know. I've been busy the last three days moving my son and daughter-in-law to uh, St. Louis, so I, you know, it's been kind of crazy, so, you know, it's just hectic. Do you all have a life like that? Hope not, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward uh, one another. Now, the biblical word humility here is not based upon your rank or your position. It's not, I'm going to be um, under a person because they have a higher rank or because they have more money or because they have this position in life or more education. No, what it means is, it's uh, the definition of humble is this. 
put others first. Put your desires, I'm going to put your desires ahead of mine. It's a decision that we make where I choose to put your stuff ahead of my stuff. Where, where there is a conflict between the stuff, my stuff and your stuff, I choose, it's a choice we make, a choice we make to put yours first. That's what Peter is talking about. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And the reason he says this, it's really interesting. I, I, I found this to be interesting when I looked at Scripture because I'm going like, okay, so why do we do that? And he says this in the next part of the verse. Because God opposes, or some of your translations may say resist the proud. God opposes the proud. God says, if you're going to be all puffed up and proud, you're going to have a big eye marriage, it's all about me, guess what? I'm going to oppose you. I'm not for that. I mean, if you've got two big eyes and you're wondering what the problem with your marriage is, and you've been praying, God, fix it, but you're still focused on what I want, what I want, what I want, but God's not working, guess what? Because God opposes the proud. God's in opposition to the proud. He wants, not, he wants to teach you to be, do something else. He said, just said, clothe yourself with humility because God opposes the proud. He's, God says, I'm not going to show up in that relationship if it's all about you. And then he says this, which is a great part of the verse. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And this is not salvation grace, and that's not what we're talking about here. The word grace here, is, it means this. It means the ability to do what you need to do in the moment. The ability to do what you need to do in the moment. God says, if you will humble yourselves, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, get rid of yourself, and choose that I'm going to end my relationships, particularly in my relationship with my spouse, what I'm going to do is I am not going to be focused on me. He says what he'll do is he'll give you the ability to do what you need to do in the moment. Now that is huge. That is huge. The ability to do what you do in the moment. See, God empowers us, what he's saying, to do what we need to do in the moment, no matter what area of life you're talking about. See, God's not going to be involved in the areas of life where you're going like, well, I can do that myself. I don't need your help. And we may not say that to God, but our first response is always, well, I've got to fix it myself. Well, God says, you're just proud. You've got to get over yourself. Humble yourself. Clothe yourself with humility. Say to me that I can't do this alone. I need you, God. And God said, I'm going to be right in the middle of that because I give grace to those who are humble. God says, I will be involved in any area of life when you just give it over to me. But if you want to do it yourself, fine. Do it yourself. You're on your own. See, in a big eye marriage, what we do is we strain to fix it. I have people all the time come to my office and talk to me about their marriage. And all they talk to me about is this. This is what I've tried to do. What I have tried to do. Big I, what I have tried to do. This is the way I've tried to fix my marriage. This is what I, I have done. And so often, it's a last resort. They come and they go like, you know, I don't know what else to do. And I'm going like, if you've given it over to God, have you said to him, God, I can't fix this? I give up, I surrender. But that's what God says. Clothe yourself with humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
If you want God to get involved, this is what he says in the very next verse, verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourselves, duh. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. If you want God to get involved, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, there's this, there's this view of what this means. And this, the people, when they read this and uh, they read what Peter wrote, understood this. The, the word humble yourself basically means I declare my dependence upon and announce my obedience to God. I declare my uh, uh, dependence upon and announce my obedience to God. God, you're God. I'm not. I need you. See, that's exactly where God wants us to be in, in every area of life. And it's no difference in our marriage relationships or any relationship, for a matter of fact. Because God wants us to understand that what he wants is not about us. And so when we have that attitude, how do you know you have that attitude? Our attitude is this. Is we respond to God, yes. Now, God, what was the question? Instead of trying to say, God, here's what I want you to do. Would you bless that? Totally different mindset. And then it's what he says also. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And he says this, that he may lift you up in due time. That he may lift you up in due time. Now, this is the part of the verse that we just don't like. What's that mean? In due time. Because in due time, I shared this last week and I shared it this week. None of us like due time. We want it now, right? We want, Pastor, give us this formula, okay? I'm going to apply it on Monday and by Thursday, everything will be great. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. Y'all know that, right? Even if I speak Southern, y'all know that, right? Okay, yeah, it doesn't work that way. See, God says that I'm going to give you the grace, the ability to, to do what you need to do while I'm working in the situation. That's the due time. And the due time is different for every, every case. There is no formula. I've known people be in the due time for a long time. And I've known people be in the due time for a short time. There is no formula based upon this. Everybody's circumstances are different. But after a time of humility and faithfulness, I have seen God do amazing things in my own life and in other people's lives as well. See, the attitude that God wants us to have is this. Even, I would rather be in the due time, even if it's a long time, than try to fix it myself and get frustrated all the time myself. To try to manipulate and coerce all the relationships that I have. God, no, I just want to give it to you. And in the due time, God, you will give me the ability, the grace to deal with the stuff. To do what I need to do and keep going during the due time. And what do you do in the due time when all this stuff is going? And guess what? Peter gives you the answer. What do you do in the due time when all this is going in the meantime? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety on him. How much of your anxiety you cast on him? This is really easy this morning. Oh, thank you. Gosh, you guys are so good this morning. You're actually responsive. I hadn't heard an amen yet, but that's all right, you know. Okay. 
Cast all your anxiety in Him. It means in the meantime, when all this stuff's going on and all this stuff that you got here in this box and you got these desires and, and you wish that they would happen and, and you said, God, I, still want, I don't want it to be an expectation, but I have these desires. And, 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 he's going, and, you make, and you're starting going down the list. You make yourself a list. You're going, God, I have this. And that's silly. I shouldn't worry about that. And, and that's silly. And God says, no, 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 no. He says, in the due time, cast everything, all. Back up the truck and dump the whole load. There wasn't trucks in that day, I know. But the issue is, that's the idea. Back up the whole load, dump the whole load, and God says, what I did, cast it upon me. Whatever's in your box, don't edit it. Because God, in the due time, He's going to do different things with the stuff in the box. Some of the things He's going to change your desires. Some of the things He's going to work toward, uh, because they're legitimate desires. God will work on you in the due time. But he says, in the due time, I'll give you the ability to do what you need to do. I'll give you that grace, that ability. He says, but cast it on me. Don't sit around and stew about it. And then this is why he says, he says, do that because he says this. And this is the punchline. Because he cares for you. In the original language, it basically means this. Because he, because you are of concern to him. See, God is saying to us, it's kind of like this conversation with God. Um, God says, is this really important to you? Uh, yeah, you say, this is important to me. And he says, really? And you say, really? Yeah. How? Well, that's important to me, God says. Why? Because it's of concern to you. It's important to me too. And you can cast it all on me, and I will give you the power in the due time to do what you need to do. Even if it never comes around, I will give you the power to endure and to deal with the issue of what's going on in your life in the due time. Because he cares for us. He's not this God who's far off in the distance and has no relationship with us. He wants to be this intimate, personal God who knows us and, and works in our life. So we can either do one of two things. We can follow this plan, it says in 1 Peter, by humbling ourselves, clothing ourselves with humility, turning to God and allowing Him to work in our life in the due time to give us the grace that we need in the due time. And He will work in that situation and He will work on our desires and He will help us through that. Or we can have an I marriage. And the I marriage is where we don't cast our cares on God. We just hold them all in and we sit there and stew and we just constantly are miserable in our relationship. And all we can do, and I'll tell you how I know what kind of relationship you have, is how you talk about your relationships. If all you can ever do is grumble about your marriage, you have an I marriage. Because when you give it to God, God will begin to work in your heart and begin to work in the person's other person's heart. And in due time, things can change. Not always. Okay, it's not a formula. But God said, this is the start and direction of a relationship. And I've heard stories over the year, but I, one of the most dramatic stories I ever heard about this, I know how God works, and I've seen God work in this, when people trust God with this over the year in the due time, and God gave them the ability to do things that I would never think they would do, is I'll never forget 30-plus years ago in North Carolina when, I was, when Vicki and I were in seminary. Uh, well, I was in seminary. She was, she was uh, uh, working and and uh, finishing graduate school, I was in a little church uh, called Flat Rock Baptist Church. Isn't that a cool name? I looked it up the other day to see why they called it Flat Rock Baptist Church, because it had a bunch of flat rocks around it. <laughs> that was originally what it says in the history. of. I, I didn't know that when I was there. But it's out in the country near, uh, near Youngsville, North Carolina. 
it's a country church of about 150 people, fairly large country church. And uh, I was on staff there while I was in seminary. And, and we, we, you know, these little country churches, I call them family chapels, um, they had like a, several families in the church. There was one in particular, they had a whole bunch of daughters, uh, three, four, something like that. I can't remember exactly how, three. My wife's back there signally, okay. Yeah, three. And, uh, yeah, three, okay. And they had really cool names, Rochelle, Darnell, and I can't remember what the other one was. Uh, but, but, they, uh, but I'll never forget the family because often we would be, and their parents lived with the church there too. And oftentimes, they'd, after we'd been there a while, they started inviting us to Sunday lunch at their house with the whole family. It wasn't just them. It was everybody, you know, kids, dogs, cats, the whole deal. And so we had that deal. But come to know that family probably better than any family in the life of the church, but I'll never forget one of the daughters. Her name was Darnell. And Darnell, um, wow. I remember coming to me weeping one time and coming to the pastor. I was an associate there. I was actually the pastor of music and youth, if you believe that or not. Um, but the thing was, is, uh, she came and she was talking to me, and she was probably in her late 20s at the time, I guess, and not much, about the same age I was at the time. And, and she had a husband and had a couple of kids, and she was just weeping because I'd never seen her husband. I'd never seen him once at church, and she was there faithfully all the time. And, and she came to me and started sharing with me and sharing with Gary, who was the pastor. And she said, you know, I just don't know what to do. I really believe in marriage. I'm committed to my marriage. But my husband, he just won't quit. And we're going, well, quit what? Well, she says he'll leave for like two weeks at a time and just not show up. And I come to find out that he's going and shocking up with other women. You know what our, devi- our, our advice was as pastors? Run! I mean, biblically, you know, he was, he was committing adultery. That's what he was doing. She had on biblical grounds, but she said, no, I'm committed. I'm trusting in God that God's going to work in this marriage. And for over two years while we were there, that we, she went through time after time after time of this, and she was just, and the kids were devastated, and she was devastated. I, I mean, but she was hanging in there with God, and she was, I, in a due time, I've never seen anybody do it like that. And even after we left the church the first few years, and this has been almost 30 years now, after we left that church, uh, we kind of kept in touch with the pastor that was there, and asked, we always, I'd always ask about Darnell. How's she doing? In about five years after we left that church, it was another five years later, the pastor said, you will not believe what happened. So Darnell's husband showed up at church one day, and he had been partying and carousing and doing all his deal for a long time, and he finally came to the end of his rope, and he said, Darnell, Darnell and God must have wore him down. Because he came, weeping down the aisle, committed his life to Christ, and we're going, sure. <laughs> but said, from then on, he has, his life for the last few months has been totally different. He's been a devoted father, a devoted husband. You know, he's, his whole life has changed. And you know, long-term history is, uh, is, is a, shows whether you've really changed or not. I got on the website of, my, of Flat Rock Baptist Church in, in Youngsville, North Carolina, uh, a couple of days ago to check and see what was going on, to see if I could find anything. And there listed on the website is the staff. And small church still, and Darnell's listed as a pianist in the church. And there listed under the deacons is Darnell's husband. See, God can do anything in the due time because if you place your trust in god you may not fix it you can't fix it yourself 
I can't fix it, but God can. He can. See, in a healthy marriage, too, the thing is, is I'm sure once that Darnell and her husband started, you know, getting back together, they started talking. And in a healthy marriage, what you do is you communicate about the stuff in the box. And so I want to close about telling you how to communicate about the stuff in here, okay? I want to give you three simple things. And if you have your outline this morning, I'm going to fill in some blanks for you there on your outline. Three things you can do to talk about the stuff in the box and the desire box in a healthy way. And for guys, I gave you an acrostic. The acrostic spells car. <laughs> Women don't forget this, guys. You can remember it. Car, okay? C-A-R. Okay. Got it? Car, okay. Number one. The first thing we have to do, if we're going to talk about this stuff in the desire box, is we have to confess. We have to take responsibility for turning our desires, uh, that we t- have turned our desires into expectations. We have to confess to our spouse that we've done that. Hey, you know, this was something I'd like to see happen, but now I've turned into expectations, so when you do it, I just don't even think about it anymore. You need to confess that, number one. Number two, what you need to do is you need to ask. You need to ask a couple of questions. Number one is this. Where do you feel pressure in living up to my expectations? Where do you feel pressure in living up to my expectations? You know, they need to add, you need to know that. I don't know about you guys, but I've never been a woman. And women, you've never been a guy, right? Anybody? I don't know. Don't maybe don't want to go there. But the issue is... The issue is, we don't think alike, right? Amen, I heard amen, I got one over here. Okay, so the thing is, is we need to understand, and the only way we will know sometimes the pressure that we feel is to communicate the pressure. Where do you feel pressure in living up to my expectations? And then another question we need to ask under ask is this, what can I do to make our marriage richer? What can I do to make our marriage richer? It's the secret of, it's a secret way of asking what's in the box. Okay, now what I don't want you to do, never do this. Huge warning, flashing lights. Never ask what directly, what is in the box. Don't ask it, because there may be something, a desire that's in that box that can't possibly be met. Let me give you an example. If I ask my wife, you know, you know, did you have, you know, early on when you were thinking about getting married, what was some of your desires? And I know one of her desires would have been, I always thought I would marry Donny Osmond. Because <laughs> she talks about when she went to a concert and Donny sang Puppy Love to her, and she was like on the front row or something. She's, I'm going, ah, you know, but <laughs> I can't meet that expectation, even if it's a desire, you know? That may be a poor example. But anyway, it's the only one I had. But the issue is, is that you don't ask directly. You, you ask the say, what can I do? What can I do to make our marriage richer? And when I ask that question, it lets them choose what they pull out of the box and talk about. Does it make sense? Simple questions. And then finally this. The, finally thing, the final thing is this. If you're going to do good, you've got to learn to reward. Okay. And here is a little word of advice. And you know this. What is rewarded is repeated. What is rewarded is repeated. Women, if you desire 
to have longer conversations with your husband, even when they do it for the wrong reason. For instance, you know, they're getting up in the morning, they're getting ready to go to work, and for some reason, all of a sudden, they're just, they got like, you know, if, they, if they're, well, around here is not too bad, but, you know, living in a big city or something, the thing is, is you're getting ready to go, and you know there's a bubble to get into traffic, you don't want to get, you got to get in your bubble, and so you're a little bit early, and you got 10 minutes, and so you decide to sit down and drink coffee and talk to your wife for 10 minutes. Now, his the whole desire is to get into the bubble. It's not about the conversation, Right? But the thing is, you desire a conversation, so you want more of that conversation. So instead of just saying, well, he did it because he wants to get in the bubble. What you do is you, you reward it. Now, if it was in the old days, like three years ago, you would write a note. But nowadays, you text them or you email them immediately. Because they have to know it's attached. It's like a child. Unless you reward it, when it happens, it doesn't, it doesn't connect. And so the thing is, you've got to reward people. Thank them for getting it right. Don't just say, oh, that was great. No, let them know. That's right. That's my desire. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us when we started this series is this. So they became one. They became us. It wasn't about I and I. It was about us. And what God wants to do, that's God's desire for our relationships and marriage, that we become us. Both of us with God. And I will guarantee you this. As we grow closer and become more obedient and focused upon God, we will draw closer to one another. That's kind of how it works. We thought what we'd do to close up this series uh, today is that uh, we want to kind of celebrate marriages in our church, okay? So Nate put out on the internet or somewhere in Bulletins or wherever it was to asking people to turn in, give pictures of, of marriages and how long they've been married and stuff like this. So uh, <clears throat> we're going to show some interesting pictures of some folks that are sitting here this morning. Now, our, okay, pray about this too. Uh, this, is, this is an advertisement. Uh, we're, one of the technology things we know we need is a better projector soon, you know. It'll be obvious in these pictures, but it, it does, I think, decent justice. So strain your eyes and look at these cool pictures as we close. And I'll, right before we do that, let me just pray. Then we're going to watch the pictures and watch the, hear a little song, and, and Nate's going to dismiss this in just a moment. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.